Thank you, BJ. Uh, it is that time of year. Uh, as, as, as many of you hopefully know, unless you've been hiding in a rock somewhere or just woken up from a very long sleep, uh, it's the, the time of year that we consider uh, the Christmas season, the, the coming of Jesus when we celebrate the, his birth. Um, throughout the years, this has been known, this time of year has been known as the Advent season. Uh, that typically is the four Sundays leading up to uh, Christmas Day. Uh, and sometimes I hear sermons around this time, um, and, and there's truth to it. There, there's truth to the fact that we should be celebrating Christmas all year round. Um, but I also think that there's importance to setting around, to setting aside times where we specifically celebrate certain things. You know, throughout the Old Testament, um, God uh, gave his people uh, certain holidays, if you will, or feasts and times that they were to set aside and to celebrate and to remember certain things. And so I think what we are doing, um, uh, celebrating Christmas and taking this time aside to celebrate Christmas is a, a good thing. And also, I'm convinced more than ever, I don't know if this is a thing of uh, when you get older that these things kind of become more important, but I, I also think setting aside this month and really looking at this Advent season and um, celebrating and leaning into what Advent means uh, is important to us as a church body and is important to us individually and in our individual families. So this month, uh, uh, Gary and I are going to take uh, these Sundays and uh, talk about Christmas themes, um, given uh, at least last week where Gary thinks he's going in two weeks or three weeks and four weeks from now, it'll be an interesting uh, couple of messages that he's going to bring to us. And so that's to, to whet your appetite a little bit there for that. Um, but this morning, this morning, I wanted to kick off kind of our our study and in, in this time of Advent. I want to give you a quote about uh, from Noel Piper, John Piper's wife, about what what is Advent? And she says, for four weeks, it's as if we were we're reenacting, remembering the thousands of years God's people were anticipating and longing for the coming of God's salvation for Jesus. That's what Advent means, coming. Even God's men who foretold the grace that was to come didn't know what person or time, the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating. They were waiting. But they didn't know what God's salvation would look like. Now we are in a different situation as we go into this Advent season. In that we know who this Savior is. And what this Savior looks like. But throughout the centuries and, and in the church. What has happened is that Christians everywhere has taken this time. Um, to prepare their hearts uh, for the celebration of Christmas by remembering belonging. Um, and so, so I, wanna, I want us to, to start that this morning. And the goal really is that you would spend time over the next four weeks really considering Jesus. The one who has come and the one who will come again. That maybe... During this month, you'll really dig in and to really spend a lot of time meditating on and thinking about who is this Jesus. And in, in, our, in our meditations and as Christians, 
the fact that, that, that we are Christians and that we have a relationship with Jesus, it should make this time different for us than the world. And, and when I say that, um, the difference uh, comes, is, is linked to what we believe about Jesus. And it propels us to think differently about this time of year, to reject some of the commercialism, to reject some of the things that our culture is throwing at us of how we are to think about this time of year. It, it compels us to love differently because our love for, for humankind comes from a, a different motive, a different place, a, a, a place where Jesus has radically changed who we are and how we think. It also changes, and I don't want this to get lost, it also changes how we celebrate. You know, I think as Christians, we should be the most festive people that there are. It doesn't mean you have to wear some of these gaudy Christmas sweaters that our youth are wearing this morning. Thank you, Caleb. But I mean, do we celebrate like a people who know the living God personally? So do we do we eat? Do we love? Do we laugh together as we gather during these times in such a way that the world could look on and say, what is it that they are celebrating so fervently about? That should be who we are as Christians. And so we should celebrate differently. We should celebrate more deeply, more joyous. And our longing for Christ to come again should uh, should, should also be a hallmark of this. So Advent hinges on one question, and that's where we're going this morning. And that one question that Advent hangs on is, who is Jesus? And if you, uh, if you have television, or if you read the paper, or if you are around any periodicals, we all know what is coming our way this month, and comes again at Easter time, and that is we are bombarded with uh, uh, stories, we're bombarded with uh, articles, we're bombarded with this um, quest for who the real Jesus is, right? And and it's really interesting uh, the how these quests go and the turns. And I, I just get to where um, I, I don't watch these shows anymore because there's there's nothing new that they come up with to try to disprove who Jesus is. But isn't it interesting the fascination over this character of Jesus? So this morning, this morning, and for those of us who are people of the book, people of the Bible, uh, we're going to look deep. We're going to look deep and see who is this Jesus, Jesus, who is this Messiah. And where I want to go to begin our Advent season together is the book of John. Um, and, uh, and, and first, I want to talk about who is this John and, and is he qualified uh, to talk to us about Advent? And and I think Obviously, um, we should all say he was because he was a disciple. He was an inspired writer of the New Testament. But I want to also talk a little bit more about who John was. If you've read the book of John, you know that John doesn't name himself in this book. In fact, when he talks about himself in this book, he talks about himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. We see an, another uh, in very endearing uh, moment in the, the two endearing moments in the life of John and Jesus. There, there are many, but uh, the two that just mean a lot to me is that, you know, at the Last Supper, where do we find John? We find him reclining on Jesus, leaning on Jesus. I think it shows John is trying in his gospel to point out to us the love that 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 was there that Jesus had for him and the love that he had for this man. 
the other thing that's interesting about this book um, uh, as, as John was writing this book, this is speculation. But do you remember at Jesus's death as he was dying on the cross? Two things interesting here. One is that the only disciple that was there at the crucifixion was John. And do you remember what Jesus charges John with at the cross? He says, behold, your mother. And so it's just interesting to me that as John is writing this book, telling us about who Jesus is, that he very well may have had Mary at his side as he was pinning these words uh, and, and, and discussing who this Jesus is. And so I, I think that John is more qualified to help us uh, understand who Jesus is than, uh, than, than we can imagine. So when John looks back, knowing all he knows about this man, Jesus, and considers how to start his gospel, it's really telling that he does not talk about the miraculous birth. There are no stars in the sky. There are no angels in the book of John. Uh, angels, you know, in the, the singing there and, and declaring the birth of Jesus. Shepherds, wise men. John doesn't talk about any of this. John doesn't even talk about the actual physical birth. He doesn't talk about Mary. He doesn't talk about Joseph or the shepherds. These events and these people are crucial and worthy of study and rejoicing over how God sent his son. But it's extremely interesting to me that as John is writing this gospel, telling us about who Jesus is. John goes right to the heart of the matter and goes deep, really, really fast. He doesn't hold back. He doesn't let the story unfold. He doesn't hold us in suspense. He goes right for who is this man. And he goes so deep at the very beginning of this book that our human minds can't really understand what John is telling us about Jesus. And so we're not going to have, a, if you're familiar with these verses, we're not going to have an in-depth study this morning over the, the Trinity um, and, and how all that works. And I, I don't have any uh, eggs or other things to try to explain to you what the Trinity is. Simply to say that it's from this great introduction to this great book that John goes after the main thing of who Jesus is. And all throughout the book of John, this question of who is Jesus, this is the question that we see throughout the whole book. Constantly, if you read this book, you see the Pharisees coming and they're asking this question, who is this man? It's in this book that we get Nicodemus who goes to Jesus himself. And basically, this is what Jesus, Nicodemus is asking Jesus, who are you? Other Pharisees are around and they're saying, who is this man that heals people? Who is this guy? The people were wondering in the book of John, we have all these instances of these crowds of people that are just rushing to Jesus, trying to figure out who is this man? Even his own brothers, you remember when. Uh, they were going up to the feast in Jerusalem and his own brothers were trying to figure out who he was. They did not even understand who he was. And repeatedly in this book, he's called a teacher, a prophet. It, it even says that he is from God, uh, but that's not a term in this book that means that he's the Messiah, God himself. But this is just ways that all of these people that I just mentioned are trying to explain who is this man. 
And at one point, even the Pharisees say, well, the only explanation for this is that he's got a demon. And so this question, this question was very important for John. It is the theme as as the book of John is unfolding of who is this man, Jesus. And in fact, the summary of the book of John is don't you don't have to turn there. It's found in John 20, verse 30 and 31. John tells us this, therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the the son of God and that believing you may have life in his name. Clearly, we see that the answer to the question that all of these people are asking is that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And so this morning, this morning, as we look at these first four or five verses in the book of John, what I want to go deeper into is what does it mean that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God? And in particular, what does it mean for us in this Advent season? So as we jump in and look um, in, in verse one. And and all of these phrases uh, just have huge significance and uh, have uh, mean so much for doctrine of what we believe about God and about Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. And we're not going to be able to get into all of that this morning, but I want you to glean some very important things uh, from this text uh, this morning. So let's look closely. So the first thing that we see about who is Jesus Christ, son of God, it says in the beginning was the word. Now, this. Word, word in Greek was logos. And there's been a a lot of debate over what John meant by um, Jesus is the word. But the first thing that I want you to know and just nail down and pretty simple, if you if you read the whole uh, text here, is that when John is saying in the beginning was the word, he is equating the word with Jesus. If you look down in verse 14, we in 15, we see this. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory of the only begotten from the father, full of grace and truth. John testified about him crying out, saying, this is he of whom I said. And so what we see is that and the most important thing here is that the word is referring to Jesus. Everything that we learn about the logos, we're learning about Jesus, the Christ. Now, that's not the controversial part. (laughs) And so I want to give you my take on uh, what I believe John is saying and the reason that he calls Jesus the word. And we'll get into this because there are some very important truths in this. So I think that when John was writing his gospel, he was writing his gospel to a, a mixed group, a group of Jews and Gentiles. And so I think that through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, John used this word. Jesus is the logos, because I think In this word, to both of those audiences, it meant something extremely significant. To the Greeks, uh, and we're not going all into this, we could have this whole lesson about uh, Greek philosophy and Stoicism and what logos means according to that. But just very simply and maybe understated, uh, I just want you to understand that it was was known in, in philosophical terms, this idea of the logos was an impersonal source. It was impersonal, but it was the source of all wisdom. It was the source of reality. Um, and, and there's some creative aspect 
to that. And so I think that part of what John may have been doing by saying in the beginning was the word and this word was Jesus is that John is saying, you know, this whole concept that you have you, you, Gentiles, th- this philosophical term that, that, that you link onto this impersonal force. Let me tell you, Jesus is the Logos. And in saying that Jesus is the Logos, think about this. When he, it's not an impersonal force, but in verse 14, the Logos, the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. That Jesus is not, or the Word of God is not some impersonal force. He is personal and He has become flesh. And the Word walked among us, John is telling us. The Word talked to us, John is telling us. The Word loved us, uh, John is telling us. The Word taught us, John is telling us. The Word got angry, John is telling us. The Word cried with us, John is telling us. And the Word was and is God. And so I think that that one thing that John meant by the word uh, was I do think he was appealing to his Greek hearers. But the other thing that I think is very obvious in in the construction of how John writes and various things throughout the text is that there is a very uh, Jewish meaning of the word logos and word. So just think through this with me for a moment. When we think through the Old Testament, we see that the Old Testament teaches that God creates how? By speaking. His word creates. It tells us that God said, have you ever thought about this? God didn't have to create this way. God said, let there be, and it came into existence. I find it very interesting that later in the uh, uh, Gospel of John, that when Jesus was calling Lazarus, raising him from the dead, that it was just the word spoken by Jesus and Lazarus came forth. He came alive. So the Old Testament, we see that God creates by the word. When God says, let there be, it happens. Over and over again, when we're talking about uh, uh, prophets and some of the patriarchs in the Old Testament, it says what? That the what of the Lord came upon them. The word of the Lord came upon them. And so in many ways... I think that God's word is his self-declaration of, of, of who he is as creator, as wisdom, um, as reality. So when John says, comes and says that the word became flesh, we must understand this to mean that God's self-declaration is happening. A, a good place to go to talk about this is in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. And it says, in these last days, it says, in the former days he spoke through his Prophets, in these last days, he's spoken to us. How? Through his son, the word came flesh. And then let's keep reading. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory. And the exact representation of his nature. And upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on We see this whole concept of Jesus being the word as a continuation from the Old Testament uh, as the word of God. So over and over in the book of John, we see this battle between Jesus and the Pharisees and the battle is over uh, who is Jesus. And this is the point of the book of John. Jesus is the word. He is the radiance of the glory of God because he radiates who God is 
Because he is the exact representation of his nature. And in this phrase, we get this great understanding of this word that floats around during Christmas time of Emmanuel. This very word, Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God with us. So the word of the Lord. In this phrase, the word of the Lord, we see. Creation, we see wisdom, we see judgment, and all these attributes are attributes of Jesus. He is the incarnate of all these themes, and these themes run throughout this book. In fact, D.A. Carson says this, God's word in the Old Testament is his powerful self-expression in creation, revelation, and salvation. And the personification of that word makes it suitable for John to apply it as a title for God's ultimate self-disclosure. The person, his own son. And so what I want to, I, I know this gets a little deep. I know we, we've run through some waters, but what I want you to understand. Another way to ask the question that I'm asking this morning of who is Jesus is, is the way to think about this metaphorically is when we look in that manger, what do we see? What do we see when we look in that manger? And one of the things that John is telling us from the beginning of his gospel, what you see in the manger is the word. And he's describing this because in that phrase, the word, in seeing Jesus as the word, we see God. This is God's self-revelation, God's self-expression of who he is. Now, I want to fairly quickly run through um, uh, three or four other things that John tells us about who this who this Jesus is. As we look in the manger, who this Jesus is, and and these these truths go so deep. John lays them out so simply; they're easy to understand as far as what John is saying. They're very difficult to understand and to to, to, to rationalize and to fit together. Uh, but if we could understand who God is fully, that means that we're God. <laughs> and so that God is mysterious and, his, and who He is is, is, is a part of, of, of Him being God and us not being God. So the first thing um, after that God is the Word that I want you to see is I want you to see uh, or Jesus is the Word, is Jesus' position. And notice, in the beginning was the Word... And the word was with God. His position that he was with God. And notice in that phrasing in the beginning, this phrase in Greek takes us back to the very first phrase of the Bible that we have in Genesis. In the beginning, God created. And so what is going on here is that the position of Jesus and this is mind blowing if we really stop to think about it, is that in the beginning Jesus was. He is coexistent with God from eternity past. And this is just mind blowing. But here's the thing. What does it mean to be God? Other than and there's some other things, but one of the attributes of what it means to be God is that you are he is eternal. 
And here, what we have John saying, which should blow our minds and would certainly blow the minds of some of the the, the Jewish readers, is that he is saying the very thing that Jesus was killed for is the very claim that John is staking here, that Jesus was in existence, was coexistent with God. It means he was eternal. He was not created, but the creator. The second thing, and all these things kind of link together. Um, so, so one is that he's eternal. Sorry, I jumped ahead to there. Uh, that he was, he was eternal. But number two, notice his position. It says that the word was God. Not a God. And there are some heresies um, who, who try to take this, this phrase and to work it a different way. But our text says very clearly, not that Jesus was a God, but Jesus was God. He was God, not a God, not one of many, but he is God. And thirdly, thirdly, as we keep going through this text. The word was with God, the word was God. And all things came into being through him and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. So not only that, but we see Jesus here, the word being the co-creator of the universe. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In verse 3, it tells us. And so think about this. Out of all the, the, the glory and the wondrous mystery and all of those great things that we sing about and that we read about and that we see in the other Gospels that happened at the, at the scene of the nativity. As we look in that manger and are talking about who is this Jesus? Can you imagine the people around that manger if they really understood more deeply who this baby was? This is mind blowing. Mind blowing. He was God. He is God. And I'd, I'd like for us to just pause in this Advent season and to let this sink in. Because as we are heading into this Christmas season and as we're in this Advent season and we're thinking about Jesus and we're thinking about his birth, we've got to think of this accurately, that he was the word. He was with God. He was God. He is God. And he was the creator of the universe. You know, can you imagine when we have children, at least the prideful Lewis, when he has children, uh, you know, I, I look upon these beautiful little babies and kind of th this, this feeling comes of, uh, I don't know if all dads are like this way, but hey, look what I did. And we quickly know, you know, that the, our children are a gift from God and these sort of things. But have you ever thought about if Mary truly understood who this Jesus was, that thoughts like that couldn't even enter into her mind? Because this baby, who she might have been tempted to say, hey, look what I did. No, no, no. It's really. He created her. This is. Mind-boggling. Mind-boggling. This is the Jesus. This is who 
the word. Jesus is who we celebrate um, during this Advent season. And this is deep enough, but John pushes this introduction further about who is this Jesus. And let's look at verse four. In him was life and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the light and therefore the life of men. Um, and, And what this means in the book of John, in the book of John, the word believe happens over a hundred times. And over and over and over and over again in this narrative, we have John telling us that the way to have a relationship with Jesus, and therefore, because of who Jesus is, to have a relationship with the Father is to believe. Believe, believe. And what John is telling us and what he is setting us up for in his gospel here at the very beginning is that Jesus is the light and the life of all men. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the way. Belief is the way to be born again. As Jesus told Nicodemus. We live in a world that is constantly, like the Pharisees of his time, trying to define Jesus on our own terms. What I want you to know this morning is that nothing less than Jesus being fully God, fully man, eternal, creator, son of God, will do in defining who Jesus is. Anything less, we might as well go home and celebrate Christmas the way the world wants us to because there's no hope for humanity. As we have learned in the book of Romans, God's plan to satisfy his own wrath could only be accomplished in Jesus. He was perfectly righteous, meaning he was the only perfect substitute. He took on our sin because he didn't have any sin of his own. So he could take on our sin. And this is he is the only one. And this is the only way that he could die in our place. And so that saying that Jesus is one of many ways, a great leader, a good teacher, any sense of denying his deity leaves us stranded, bearing the weight of our own sin and guilt. And when we look into the manger, we see God taking on flesh, making a way for us to be reconciled. To him. So when we consider Advent and, and the coming of Jesus, we see that we're not celebrating a nice story. We're not celebrating a, a time where we uh, can just warm up by the fire and put on hot cocoa or apple cider or whatever and have a nice time. We're celebrating. We're celebrating. And in some sense, and this is where we're driving, awaiting God himself to intervene. And we're celebrating that he did that the first time in coming as a baby to grow, to suffer and to die, that we might be reconciled to him. And there's also a sense that we're celebrating that Jesus will come again. He will come again. Gathering his bride unto himself. And so in this Advent season. As this Advent season. Um. I think I want to close by talking about two things. One is, I I do want to talk just a little bit more about as Jesus came onto the scene and as Jesus was born, a little bit of the context about what was going on around him. And I want to parallel that somewhat to our day and age. And so as Jesus was, um, uh, as Jesus during his day, the history of God's people in the Old Testament is, is really a history of failure. I don't know if you've ever thought about it this way, but God's people in the Old Testament and, 
and, and the work that is going on there and the stories that we have in the Old Testament is really a story of failure in many ways. It's a constant history of people who attempt to take matters in their own hands and to try to provide a level of stability amongst the people who have been chosen to follow him, rest in him, obey his law. Instead, they try to use God to accomplish their own way. The story of the Old Testament, the story of God in the Old Testament was one that God would provide a way. And one of the things we must do to begin to understand this narrative is to understand the day and age in which Jesus came. The Old Testament on several occasions prophesied of a Messiah that would turn the world upside down. And there was a longing in the hearts of the people. And this longing was because they found themselves in an uncomfortable position. It seemed as if all God's promises were failing. It had to feel as if evil was winning and that God's people were at the mercy of earthly forces. In the hearts of true believers, there was a longing, a longing for a king, a longing for a Messiah that would come and would make things right and that would establish his throne as Kurt led us in to, to start thinking about this morning. And it was in this world, in this time period, which God had been silent, that boom, boom, God sends a loud word that broke through the time-space continuum and that He sent His Son Jesus, who was God, to take on flesh, to be the Redeemer of His people. Now, things are different now, right? There's no darkness We never wonder when we read the papers or walk around in the world in which we live, what in the world is going on here? We never wonder what is God up to. People never fail us. Institutions never let us down. The world is just right. The reason that I bring up these things is because I think during this time of Advent, of anticipating the, the, the celebration of the anticipation of the coming of Jesus. I think that one of the things that our mind needs, minds need to be drawn to during this season of Advent is that we need to be drawn to the fact that this Jesus will come again. And you know, we should be yearning for this day. We should be yearning for this day. Christ will return. And so I want to give you um, just a couple of keys to Advent and then some goals very quickly um, uh, this morning. So some of the keys, I think, in celebrating Advent is one is knowing that it seems dark, but we need to rest assured and we need to know and stand on the truth that God will win. He has won and he will win. If we looked at verse 5, different translations translate this a little bit differently. But the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. Other translations, instead of comprehend, will say overcome it. And, And I think that the idea here is that the light is true and sure and it endures and nothing can take away the light of the world, which is Jesus. And our security is true. And the very reason that we know it is true is because of who John has told us who Jesus 
is. He is not a mere man with some level of superpowers. He is God himself. And so he is sure and he is true. And so during the time of Advent, it needs to remind us, and it's a good thing during this time, that we need to be considering Jesus. We need to be thinking deeply about Jesus. I would encourage you during this time to read the Gospels. Spend time in the Gospels uh, this month, these four weeks, and read and drink deeply from texts that tell us who is Jesus. If we believe that He is the hope of salvation, why do we neglect our relationship with Him? Why do we not proclaim Him more in the dying to the dying world? Are we in a posture of Advent? Of anticipating. Of knowing. Awaiting. Longing. Working. Rejoicing. Knowing that God has and God will. Christ can't fail because He is the Word. He was with God. He is God. He's the Creator and He's eternal. And so the goal as the... As we begin this season, let us drink deeply and accurately from the waters of who Jesus, who is this Jesus. And we do this by digging into the word. I've already said, suggested uh, reading John or another gospel this Advent season. Uh, I, I, I would challenge you to pray and ask God to reveal to you more deeply than ever before. Who is this Jesus? I think it's I don't think we're really reading the Bible well if we read and don't pray. <laughs> Meaning that we're not asking God to reveal to us what his word says. And so I, I want us to read and I want us to pray. And dads, um, and, and this is one that challenges me. Um, dads, you know, this is a this is a good time during this season to lead your family in some Advent meditations. This is a wonderful time of year to start a habit of. Um, talking with your family and digging into the word with your family and celebrating and longing for and, and discussing who this Jesus is. It's also a good time of year, like I mentioned in the beginning, to make sure that we celebrate. Make sure that we do this well. For many, uh, Christmas reminds us of, of loved ones that aren't with us anymore. Uh, it can remind us of some childhood hurts. It can bring about levels of depression and loneliness. But what I want to submit to you this morning is if we truly try to wrap our head around what this season is really all about, what you'll see is that some of those God will turn, God will turn that hurt and that pain into something great for his glory. That our eyes will eyes will turn from the focus and pain and our eyes will look to Jesus, the author and protector and, and finisher of our faith. Confess your own fears and your lack of faith. And believe the word. This is big. Believe the word over the news, your feelings and your earthly sight. Easy, right? None of us struggle with that. And so I pray and will pray for us that as we enter the Advent season, that we will consider Jesus 
in who he is in all of his fullness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is beyond our comprehension that you sent your Son who is co-eternal with you. He is the co-creator with you. That your word says that he is God. Our minds can't even fathom this. That he, the word, became flesh and dwelt with us. And God, we are thankful that you did not leave us as orphans. That you've given us your spirit. And that your spirit dwells with us. Works in us, teaches us, leads us and guides us until the day. When your son returns and ransoms us, his bride for himself. And God, I pray that, Lord, during this Advent season, this time where we think about the anticipation of your first coming. The longing for you in your first coming, God, I pray that, God, that it will not our thoughts will not terminate there, but that, God, that we will see the fulfillment of that in your son. And then also, God, I pray that we would it would create in us a good, healthy longing For your second coming, the second coming of your son. In which things will be made right. God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.